I think I want to do it. He says, you know, <laughs> I noticed that this is perfect because every time I cough, I can just move the mic. Um, uh, I noticed that I don't really like being told what to do. H- have you noticed that about yourself? I, I, I find that I, I, I kind of vacillate wildly between saying, you know, oh, boy, I just wish someone would tell me what to do. And then when somebody tells me what to do, I'm like, I don't want to do that because you told me to do it. Right? I, I kind of feel both ways. And I, I almost feel it's like to the point where reverse psychology could easily manipulate me. Where, you know, you could just say, well, Josh, you know, don't throw me in the briar patch. And I'm like, I'm definitely throwing you in the briar patch. You know, like I just, I, I am that simple. I am that easy to, to sway uh, because I so value my own sense of independence and feeling like I'm in control and, and, um, and like I'm my own man and nobody tells me what to think or do or, or any of those things. Uh, to the point where it, it, it really can cause some problems in my life. You know, when I was thinking this morning um, about a time, excuse me, I'm, I'm just going to be coughing a lot today because I'm still getting over a little bit of illness. In fact, I'm going to grab this coffee just to help um, help calm things down a little bit. So I was uh, working as a waiter at a restaurant, and um, I had this manager who you know, maybe wasn't the best manager, but he was, in fact, my boss, and uh, he would work on the uh, the cook line sometimes, and he had this, un- what I thought was a just terrible, annoying habit of, of calling servers up to come and get the food before all the food was prepared, and so, you know, if, if the order was like half done or maybe three quarters done, he would um, say, you know, hey, come come get this food and take it out to the table, and then we'd have to make extra trips and use extra plates uh, because, you know, the, the rest of it would be coming out in a few minutes. Well, this really bugged me, and, and I, I, you know, because uh, it made my job what I thought. Yeah, I thought that just made my job harder, and why is this, you know, he's making more work for me. And, and, and I was really, I, I just had, like, a bad attitude about it and, uh, and kind of let him know in the middle of, like, a very intense, busy time uh, at, at the uh, at the restaurant, and I came home, and I was complaining to my wife about it, you know, like you do. You you have a bad day at work, and you come home, and you complain to your spouse about how the world's against you, and and she said, you know, you know you're the you know you're in the wrong here, right? You know, you you're the one who you're you're like totally undermining your boss's authority, making his job way more stressful, and making it a, a lot more unstable and unpredictable at your job. Like you need to you need to repent. And when she told me that, I thought. Dang it, she's right, and uh, and so and and so God just like really used that to convict me. I had to go home. I had to go back into work and just say, "Hey, you know, yesterday I was totally out of line. I'm sorry. Uh, I was really, you know, I I just felt like I needed to confess and and kind of repent to my boss. And you know, I thought I was worried, man. You know, this might just really undermine any kind of opportunity to to tell this guy about my faith in Jesus and I, I you know it would, might just really undermine our relationship he's never going to respect me again because I've been such a goofus and a doofus and he would have been justified uh, I think in in uh, treating me that way if that had been his response but I was really surprised that uh, the, the act of apologizing and just really owning my stuff really rather than undermining uh, undermining my opportunity to to see God at work and to talk about that with with my boss uh, actually seemed to kind of open more doors. That that vulnerability of saying, 
yeah, you know, I, I was really wrong. I really screwed this up. Um, that actually opened doors, and uh, I was even able to, like, pray with my boss and uh, for my boss, um, like, you know, lay hands and pray for him for healing and all kinds of stuff going on in his personal life on more than one occasion. Um, uh, and I think, I think that happened maybe in part because uh, of that trust that we built over me kind of being a jerk and then saying sorry for it. But I think what that experience highlights for me is just that a lot of what I didn't, a, a lot of what caused that incident was that I just didn't want to do what my boss was telling me to do because my boss was telling me to do it. I thought I had a better idea, and I wanted to do things my way. And because of that, it, it caused a lot, of, a lot of issues. And I think it's a very common for us as human beings to just want to be more interested or committed in our own good ideas than in the, uh, than in the ideas of others, right? I mean, isn't that just like the way that we think? I, I usually think, man, if I've got an idea, I think it's super interesting. I want to talk about it. I want to tell you all about it. I want you to listen to me talk about my good idea. And uh, if, if you've got an idea, I'll listen for a little while. But my, I, I just, I'm more interested in myself. I'm more interested in, in my take on things. Um, and, you know, we're part of this movement. We're part of this vineyard movement. Um, we're part of this stream of Christianity that seems to, and I think does, really value ingenuity and creativity and trying new things. Like, you may have noticed, this isn't like a typical church building, uh, right? You know, like, uh, we, we, we value um, repurposing and and bringing life into, into dead places. And we, I think there's a lot of really positive things about being innovative, being problem solvers, trying new things, being creative. But, uh, you know, and it, even to the point of, like, we write music. Like, we, we sang a song that was written in this church. Like, we're, we're, we're all about new things and, and new ideas and, and being creative and being original. And I think that's really good. I think there's a lot of strength and beauty in that. Uh, but we also are part of <coughs> this tradition that tries to tap into this sense that God's authority is at work, <coughs> excuse me, in our lives. And this idea that we're <coughs> not just doing what we think is a good idea, but that we really believe that, that Jesus is at work in our midst. And I think that as we look <coughs> to the passage today uh, and, and invite God's presence, um, there are some things that he wants to say and uh, that are actually for our benefit. And if we listen to them and we hear them and we listen to the Holy Spirit, I believe that he'll direct our creativity, he'll direct our ingenuity, he'll direct our hard work and our, all of our good ideas to the maximum benefit of both this community and our wider community in Springfield. And so I just want to look at uh, Acts chapter 11, the first 18 verses. Um, real quick, though, I'm going to take a sip of coffee and then pray. Oh, thank you, Jesus. All right. <clears throat> so, Lord, I do ask that you would speak to us through your word. God, I ask that we would be a spirit-led people and that um, your word would shape us, mold us, and lead us. And I just ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles... Oh, thank you so much. 
appreciate that. I'll take the water. Uh, the apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So Peter went up to Jerusalem. Uh, so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him uh, and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Now, I think it's interesting that their objection is that he went into the house and ate with them. Uh, apparently, they didn't catch the part where he baptized them also and, uh, and like welcomed them fully into the membership of the church. You know, I, that might seem like a bigger deal, but, they're, but, they're, but their beef is that he's eating with Gentiles. And I think it's worth noting here that, um, you know, the Jews, especially these Jews, may have had really good reasons to be a little wary of Peter making friends with the enemy, right? You've you got to remember, Jerusalem is occupied by Rome. That means that, like, a military uh, police force is kind of constantly in effect, uh, and there's kind of like a little bit of an oppression justice issue thing going on uh, with the Romans mistreating Jews in, the, in those days. And uh, add on top of that, these are Christian Jews who are, like, extra on the fringe, extra marginalized, having experienced persecution from their own fellow Jews. Now we're going to welcome in these people who are persecuting us because we're Jewish, like they, they had legitimate grievances against Gentiles for the fact that they were Gentiles, right? These people are not really at peace. There's, there's kind of a power dynamic and a, and a, a problem with the two cultures clashing uh, and who has power and, who, and how that power gets used or abused uh, with each other. And so... I think it's, you know, we should not be too quick to judge the circumcised believers, that is, Jewish believers, um, when they say, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. You're, you're collaborating. You're being friends with the enemy. You're being friends with these people who are persecuting us, who are mistreating us, who are uh, maybe sometimes killing um, friends or family of the people who are part of this church. Uh, and you went and had, had lunch with them. That's a problem, right? It's also, further, a violation of a few dietary laws and uh, of the covenant in uh, the Old Testament. You know, you eat with an unbeliever, you need to kind of reinstate your ritual purity before you can worship in the house of God uh, because God is a holy God, all right? So so circumcised believers are really having an issue with this. Some of their problems are at least understandable, if not even legitimate from their point of view. So starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent from, the, from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with him. So these six brothers, so Peter's like telling this story to a crowd. He's got a bunch of friends that were there at the incident who were witnesses to everything that happened. He's kind of relying on their, on their witness testimony to kind of back up his story. He says, these six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all of your household will be saved. 
as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. And then I remembered what the Lord, that's Jesus, what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So God gave them the same gift he gave to us. So if God gave them the same gift he gave to us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think I could stand in God's way? And when they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God saying, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So just a couple observations about this passage. You know, this is remarkably similar to um, the events in chapter 10. It kind of just gives a a very brief blow-by-blow retelling of the events in chapter 10. Um, But it's really kind of the church beginning to process and really take to heart that uh, this isn't just a Jewish movement, that this is really you know, open to Gentiles, right? The conclusion is so that, so then even to Gentiles, uh, and I'm going to guess that that's, I think maybe everybody in this room, uh, God has granted repentance that leads to life. And aren't we glad that they could uh, wrap their minds around the fact that God was making this available to um, Gentile believers? But here's the thing I think is really interesting about this story. First of all, uh, the story is a story where God is really the driver in this story. Do you notice that? I mean, Peter does his part. He goes up on the roof and prays, right? And then he gets information from God. He hears God. He, you know, he sees this vision, and then he does his best to be obedient and, and do the things that he knows to do. But, but really, like, this whole thing starts with the Holy Spirit's at work. God's already sending angels to this guy, Cornelius, in his household, and he's He's speaking to Peter so that Peter will kind of get it through his thick skull that it's not just a Jewish thing anymore. And, and, uh, and, and like, God is really, like, a, not just a key agent, but, like, the head of this whole thing, right? It's not just the case that a bunch of people have their good ideas, they're just keeping a tradition. But, no, like, God is really an, an actor and a main character in this story. And so I think a good question for us to ask from time to time as we look at our life as individuals and our life as a community is if, if God stopped acting, what would happen in our lives, like as individuals, and, and what would happen in the life of this church? You know, I, I think that there's, there are a lot of instances, and there are a lot of churches, frankly, where if if God stopped moving, would anybody notice? Would anybody care? I don't think that's the case here. I, I'm pretty sure if I, I, if I didn't experience Jesus in worship, if I didn't experience God when I was receiving prayer ministry, if I didn't experience the love of God in this community the way that I commonly, actually pretty much every Sunday I show up here experience it, uh, man, I would have quit a long time ago because it's just not that, I mean, it's just, otherwise, it's just not that fantastic, right? I mean, like, we don't really have, like, a huge crowd of people and, like, lots of, you know, flashy lights and smoke machines. Like, like God is the thing that's happening here, right? <laughs> like, the Holy Spirit's at work, and that's really all we've got, right? And, <laughs> and, and that's why I keep showing up. That's why I keep... Uh, keep giving this everything I've got is because the Lord is in, is in charge of this thing. God is calling this into existence and sustaining it and working through it so that people experience healing, people experience his goodness, people experience his forgiveness, 
and, and even get saved and, and come to know Christ as Lord and King. And that's what I want to see continue to happen, and I'm just glad to be part of a church that, that does what we see the Father doing, right? Jesus said that all he did, and I'm not saying that we're perfect at this or that I'm perfect at this, but, but Jesus, all he did was do what he saw the Father doing. He only listened to God and did what God wanted him to do. And, and, and so we as a, a movement of churches try to do that. We really try to do what we feel like God is leading us to do. We do what we see the Father doing, and we do that in prayer ministry, and we try to do that as, as a community uh, and, as a, and as a body of believers that where God is leading our body, we want to go um, together. And, and in unity and in, and in full obedience and enthusiastic, joyful obedience to the Lord. Um, and that's really a vineyard value. That's part of this church and the movement of vineyard churches. So God is driving the movement. The other thing I notice about this situation is it's really obvious and very front and center is that God brings these people that have maybe some good reasons to uh, hate each other. I mean, their families probably have been at war or at least involved in skirmishes and all kinds of violence or at least discrimination and, um, you know, uh, kind of unequal treatment, right, because of the power dynamics of that Roman Empire occupying Jerusalem uh, and, and the Judean countryside. But God is able to bring those people together. And it happens in this way that seems, like, really insignificant, right? I mean, Cornelius is, like, kind of a, you know, he's, he's kind of like just an average middle-class guy. He's not nobody. He's got a whole household, you know. He's, he's um, uh, you know, he's not, un, he's not without any resources. But he's by no way, by no means, like, the governor or the emperor or, or some big hotshot, right? And who's Peter? He's just this kind of... He's this guy in this fringe movement uh, who, you know, they, they think that their, their cult leader came back to life. And, and so they, you know, they keep going everywhere and, and say that, you know, this guy is alive. And, you know, who, who, even is this, who even is this uneducated Galilean, right? So, but God uses these kind of just like normal, average, uh, perhaps unimpressive people to do things that have shaken the course of human history and have altered our morality and uh, and our view of what the good life is, even two thousand years later, I mean, we have this idea in our culture that that all men are created equal, right? Okay. Thomas Jefferson, while he was himself far from a Christian, uh, is deeply influenced by the morality of this story and of of stories like it in the New Testament, that God made, it, made the world for all of humanity to be one human family and that everyone ought to be treated with dignity and respect. That idea comes from Jesus. It doesn't come from, I don't know, Peter Singer or somebody else. I mean, like, th- those are Christian ideals that, that have shaped the, the, the foundation of, of um, lots of Western society. And it all starts with just a few people having the right attitude in their hearts and doing the spiritual work of being obedient and listening to what God would say in embracing each other at, at the table, that they all eat and drink 
from the same cup and are one uh, family, one body of believers. We really see that played out in the second half of Acts chapter 11 at this kind of international church that happens in Antioch, which is super cool. Um, But I think that a lot of times we can dismiss or maybe downplay um, the important spiritual work that happens that shapes uh, our other choices and actions, right? Uh, And I think that it's important to be honest and diligent about what the Lord is leading us as individuals to do and how we're thinking. Are we letting the Spirit lead in the way that we think about our neighbors and our co-workers and even our friends and the, and the conflict and drama that happens in all of those relationships? Does the Holy Spirit really call the shots in how we think and act in those ways? I've been reading and this might seem really unrelated, but I've been reading this book by a guy named Jamar Tisby. It's called The Color of Compromise, and it's all about uh, the, the American church particularly um, and, and Amer- American white evangelicals in particular, uh, complicity with racism in the history of the church. And so much of the damage that has been done uh, to African Americans and to our black brothers and sisters in Christ has happened just because people didn't really check their hearts you know, they didn't, re- they, didn't, they didn't look inside and they didn't, they didn't ask, you know, can we go along with these institutions? Can we go along with the, the, um, the practice of slavery, even though it's considered normal? Uh, can, we, can we do that and be Christians of conscience? Does this actually uh, jive with what we read about in the scriptures? And sadly, uh, through a lack of uh, contemplation and a lack of of, of introspection about those things, uh, you know, the, the church in America has a very checkered history with its complicity in not challenging that institution of slavery or the racist policies that followed in the Jim Crow era and later. And so I just think it's important for us as we go through life and as we look at our culture, as we look at the, the things around us, we look at the relationships that we hold, that Jesus is driving that we're not just accepting sort of the, the common assumptions that come to us through our Facebook feed or our Instagram feed or through our 24-hour news cycle, but that we're being molded and shaped by the voice of God, that we take time to pray, that we go up on the roof to pray and listen to what God might say so that we can fall into a trance and see a vision. You know, like we, we need to be the kind of people who are active and engaged in listening to what God would say to challenge us so that we can really benefit from his leadership. And I just think that that's really important for us as a community. We don't want to just do our best ideas. If we just follow our best ideas, our best ideas are going to be colored by the water we swim in. They're going to be colored by the times that we live in and in, and by the uh, by the, the attitude and the, the zeitgeist, if you will, of of our current present evil age. And if we want to be shaped by the coming kingdom, if we want to be molded by God's rule, his reign, and his authority, and we want to do the kinds of things that Jesus does, we want to break down those barriers between people who hate each other, between different political factions and different ethnic and uh, socioeconomic barriers. If we want to see a prophetic community that welcomes everyone 
and treats everyone with dignity and everyone as though they are made in the image of God, then we need to have God's leadership in that endeavor. It can't just be our best idea of what we think works in um, you know, our natural human understanding. We need the leadership of God in our lives, and that's important for things, for these complex social issues and for our personal interactions with our friends and family, okay? It matters if God leads you or not, and submitting to that authority gives us a lot of, um, a lot of power to challenge the institutions and the social dynamics of our present evil age. All right, so here's what I'd like you to do. And I'm going to take a bit of a left turn and just talk a little bit about things going on in our community. So, um, you know, uh, we're obviously pretty tight here, right? This is not a large church at at this stage in our history. We know each other. We know each other by name. We love each other. And that's great. That's good. That's such a good thing. Um, And so sometimes when we take time to pray or we do these formal things like we ask people to fill out cards or whatever, it can seem a bit oddly informal or or oddly formal. But I think that those things are important for us to do, and it's important for us to maintain that level of decorum. It's important for us to sign our kids in and out so that when visitors come, they feel safe and they feel welcome. And that's really important. But the other reason that it's important to kind of go through some formalities and to really treat this like it's a church and not just a bunch of friends hanging out is because it is a church. And we want to be sure that we are following God's authority. We want to be sure that the Holy Spirit is leading us, that it's not just my persuasive words or someone else's persuasive words um, and good ideas directing our actions, but we want God to be in charge. And the human condition is such that if we don't be intentional and maybe even a little bit formal about that, then it's easy to slide into something other than God leading the way. And, and it doesn't happen um, that God will lead unless we are intentional about listening to his voice and doing the things that he says. Okay, so um, this week I want us to take some time to set aside some time to just pray. Try to just pray and do nothing else. Now, if you need to pray while you drive or you need to pray while you work, and that's the best you can do, great, do that. Just connect with God. That's the main thing, okay? But, you know, if possible, try to set aside some time to really just listen to the Lord and maybe think about what he's leading you to do personally and maybe especially over the next couple months. And, um, in, and I'll talk about a specific question here in just a second. And then when you do that, I want you to share it with somebody else, okay? So the idea is take some time, listen to the Lord, see what he's leading you to do, and then say that out loud to someone else. Say, you know, I feel like God is saying, you know, I need to forgive my grandmother. Or, you know, I feel like God is saying, um, you know, I need to reach out to my neighbor to see how they're doing. I'm a little concerned. Or, you know, whatever, whatever God says to you, uh, whatever you feel in terms of conviction, if you feel like, you know, that, that kind of seems like something God would say, and it matches the story I read in the scriptures, and then talk to somebody else about that so that someone else can bear witness 
and encourage you and hold you accountable. The Be the Vineyard is a great place to have that conversation. Uh, or here on Sunday morning is also a great place to have that conversation. A lot of us have uh, each other's phone numbers, and you can reach out to somebody side to side. That's great. Uh, but I want us to take some time this week to listen to God's voice and ask um, what he would say and then talk about that experience with a trusted friend who can help us process it and help us figure out, yeah, that, that does seem like God. Or, you know, you know, I don't think God would say something so mean to you. Um, you know, I think God is actually a little more kind. I think God's actually a little more encouraging than that. Uh, maybe maybe you're experiencing conviction, but it you know it has this grace to it as well. All right, okay. Now, the thing I really wanted to talk about too is we are as a community um, trying to discern some things going on with the leadership of this community. All right, and I think most of you kind of already know about this. This is, shouldn't be a surprise, but I just want to get it out there in case anybody hasn't heard. Um, Kara and I have been talking for a while about, um, and we've been praying about things, and, and uh, we kind of think, and, and, and trustees have been talking about this, we kind of think that it might be time for Kara to come on as a co-pastor of this church. And a lot of people are nodding their heads, and that's cool, uh, it, you know, because it, most of you probably aren't surprised. She's a big part of my life and, about, uh, and of the life of this church. She's deeply involved in kids' ministry. She, I mean, she's drumming. She's preaching she's she's amazing right you know she's fabulous right but it it might seem kind of oddly formal but i just think it's important for us as a community to really take these kinds of things seriously because they might have ramifications and uh impacts that we don't anticipate right it might seem unimportant to us that that's that something like that a shift like this is taking place and maybe kind of oddly formal but i actually think that it really matters um that we recognize what God is doing and and follow God in that. And so we want this decision because, it's, I mean, like who leads this church is a big decision. We want that, we want to take that seriously. And so um, we want to, at least for a couple weeks, maybe, uh, maybe longer depending on how this goes, but um, we want people to pray and ask like, God, is this what you're leading us to do? Is this, is this what we're do- supposed to do as a community? Um, and, and we want, to make sure that you know you don't feel like you have to talk to me or Kara if you have any reservations or any any kind of a you get any kind of a check that that says anything else. So we want you to be able to talk to Anthony, who's back there in the sound booth. With everybody knows Anthony, waving him, uh, or Gerilyn, who's the other um, trustee that we have on the board right now. Um, and uh, we want you to be able to express whatever you think um, uh, about this situation to them. Uh, I did also want to invite Kara up. Sorry to just share a little bit about her process and what this is like for her. So go ahead. Hi. So we talked about this at the Be the Vineyard meeting on Wednesday. <clears throat> so if you were there, I'm sorry, this will be boring. Um, but if you weren't there, I'll get you all caught up to speed. And we had some really good questions on Wednesday night, so I thought I'd address those too, and we'll address them on the recording. So anybody who wasn't there and isn't here today can still kind of get the scoop and, like, what's the, the official pitch that surely isn't the right word to use. Um, anyway, so uh, about a year ago in October, um, when Tim talked to us about him stepping down, he invited Josh and myself also uh, to be the pastors of the church. And I really felt like it wasn't for, like, God was saying, not not now, not you, no, 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 um, at the time, which 
might seem confusing given that like we've been in ministry together for a long time. We were licensed and ordained at the same time. We went to Philly and planted a church together. We were co-senior pastors then. Um, but it really seemed to me, the, the real word I guess that I can take away is more that like I felt like God just really like made a lot of space for me to say like, hey, this is Josh's decision and it's Josh is going to be the guy and the transition is going to be Josh and you can just be really supportive right now. Which isn't exactly like a natural role for me, if you know me at all. Like I'm not exactly like, a, oh, I just want to be a supportive wife and I don't want to be in the limelight myself kind of a person. Like that's not really my jam. Um, but the thing that I definitely do want to do is be obedient to God. And it seemed really clear. Like, it didn't seem in line with my personality, but it seemed really clear. And I wasn't unhappy about it because um, we'd been on staff together with Tim for a while. And there was just, like, a real... um, Imbalance, not in an unhealthy way, but just like I had a full time job and then Tim had a part time job and Josh was in school. And so I felt like I wasn't doing very much because I was working a lot. Um, so, like, oh, here are my ideas about pastoral things. And if a woman needs some, like a woman to pray with, I'm the, the clear choice. But, um, but the two of them were really doing a lot. And so I just, it didn't feel very authentic to say, oh, like, I'm a pastor, but I'm, you know, not doing as much as these two. So, um, so that's kind of how that went down at the time is I just really pulled back and said, yeah, I don't think this is for me right now. And Josh decided, I'm so glad he did, to uh, take the role of pastor here. And I think that transition was really good. And over the course of the spring and the summer, um, a couple really important things happened for me. One is I had a really nice break from ministry. I didn't serve on a ministry team at all for months, which was the first time in... uh, at least a decade, like 15 years, like the, like the first time since college, really, that I wasn't um, a leader or a server, certainly my first time ever in this church. And um, just being able to receive and to love everyone and be loved by everyone, and there be like there was like no transaction to that. Like I had no question in my mind, like, are you really just my friend because I'm watching your kid on Sunday morning? Because guess what? I'm not watching your kid on Sunday morning. So, <laughs> so it was a really nice time for me just to be blessed by the community. And then over the summer, um, we went to the national conference, and <clears throat> a couple other things happened. I really felt like God reaffirmed my calling and um, started talking to me about calling me back to that. Um, A story that I didn't share on Wednesday, um, but at the national conference, Josh went to a meeting like before, or he was like checked in to help with kids or something, I don't know, at the national conference. So I just had Bolton Ender by myself, and they had like a, we're selling donuts, the kids made donuts, and if you buy donuts, the money will go to support an orphanage, which like donuts and the proceeds go to support an orphanage, like this is exactly where I want to be. So me and the kids went, and we bought some donuts, And as I was paying, I looked down, and there's Ender, and I don't know where Bolt is. And I start looking around for him wildly, and, like, I'm at a church thing. Like, it's probably pretty safe here, but, like, there are a gazillion people here. It's a huge church. The conference had thousands of people, and, like, I can't find my kid. And I played it cool for about a half a second, and then I just, like, looked out at everyone and said, I've lost my child. His name is Bolt. I don't know where he is. Help me find him. Bolt, where are you? And I was panicked, and I started to cry. And somebody said, is that him over there? And he was, like, sitting 
at the table where you eat the donuts, very logically, and I was like, yes, and I couldn't even, like, thank the person or anything, I just, like, went over and hugged my kid, because I thought he was gone forever, you know, like, how you do when, when those things happen, and then I was praying about it later during ministry time, and I felt like God said two really important things. One was, I felt like God said, this is how I feel about the lost, like, I don't care how humiliating it is. I will do anything to get them. And then I felt like he also said, and Carol, I'll do anything to get you. And it was just, like, really, really nice, (laughs) you know, like, to have that, like, heart of evangelism of the Father, but also to feel that applied to each of us individually. And I felt like God just really called me back to, um, like, a professional, official role of, like, being a, a part of God calling out to the lost and saying to every single person in this room, like, God will humiliate himself in front of a bunch of donut buying churchgoers and call out your name and, and cry to find you like nothing will stop God from coming after us and I just think that's a really critical part of our mission in this church and as Christians and um so then we started praying and now here we are I feel like yeah time to get back in the game in like a an official kind of a way so thanks yeah so I'm really excited um obviously uh because I get to be married to her and um we get to do ministry together, and that's, I think, really good. And I just think that, you know, my, my, my kind of take on this is just, like, we're really just trying to recognize what is true, which is that Kara is called, and she's qualified, and she does pastor this church in many ways. And, and so we just kind of want to recognize that um, more formally as a church is my take on it. Uh, of course, if God is saying something different to you, we want to make a lot of room for that. We need, especially at this, this size and this time in our church's history, we need unity on these kinds of things. And we need to know that God is leading us in one direction altogether. And so if you've got any concerns or you know positive things, whatever, you know, I guess share the positive things with us so you don't have to go through anybody to do that. But if you you know need to have a conversation with somebody, you're a little intimidated to talk to me or Kara or just don't want to talk to us for any reason, uh, you could talk to Anthony or you could talk to Geraldine um, as we discern this together as a community. Okay? All right. So there's all that. Think about that. Pray about that. Would you stand? And then um, could somebody hand me that blue thing? We had a couple of um, fairly clear prophetic words this morning. Um, One is... Uh, busyness and busyness is crowding out God's voice. And so uh, the encouragement is to make room to hear God and that that, that is the first step. Pray for room to, to be able to listen to God. Um, and so if you feel like that applies to you, if you feel like you're really struggling with busyness, um, please get prayer. We can um, invite God into that situation. Uh, second thing is anxieties and depression. Um, and the invitation is for God to protect the vulnerabilities in each of us uh, in this season of growth. Um, if you are ex- experiencing anxiety or any kind of depression or anything like that, um, God wants to just protect the vulnerable places in your life. Uh, third is uh, maybe some people are experiencing discouragement and not seeing the breakthroughs we're hoping for. Um, but there's an uh, invitation to openness towards God and to experience his love and care for you. So if you would say you're experiencing discouragement uh, because you're not seeing the breakthrough you're hoping for, uh, man, come get prayer. God wants to deal with all this stuff, okay? 
Phil, will you close us out at the end of prayer time? That'd be great. Okay, so I think everybody knows how this works. If you want prayer, come forward. Uh, and then somebody who's been trained will put their hand on your shoulder and just ask God that they can pray for you in a way that's no weirder than Jesus. And um, God will probably heal your heart and your mind and your body. All right?